0: You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. Matthew 13 and Luke chapter number 8. And when you find those, please stand for the reading of God's word, if you would, out of respect and honor of it. Always try to be mindful, be sensitive to the Lord. And, uh, you know, if he's having one of those days with you, just let him have it. Because I heard a preacher say one time that he wished God would stop making him cry when he was in the pulpit. And he stopped crying from that moment forward. And I never want to become so insensitive to God that he can't work and be emotional when we open up his word and we come to church. All right? So let's look at Matthew 13, if you will. We're going to read parallel passages, but when you read the Gospels, one writer will give different details that the other one doesn't give, and uh, all of them work together. I have the blessing. If you have a computer study program at... uh, On your computer, I can clone one window and I put it on this side of my screen and then I can open up another chapter on this side so I can put Matthew 13 and Luke 8 side by side each other and I can compare them at the same time that I study. And it's such a blessing and you get to see details that you don't necessarily see when you just read them separately from each other. So I want you to look at Matthew chapter number 13 in verse number one, the Bible says, um, The same day went Jesus out of the house and sat by the seaside, and great multitudes were gathered together unto him, so that he went into a ship and sat. And the whole multitude stood on the shore, and he spake many things unto them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went forth to sow. And when he had sowed, some seeds fell by the wayside, and the fowls came and devoured them up. Some fell upon stony places where they had not much earth, and forthwith they sprung up because they had no deepness of earth. And when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among the thorns, and the thorns sprung up and choked them, but the other fell into good ground and brought forth fruit, some a hundredfold, some sixtyfold, some thirtyfold." Now jump down to verse number 18. Verse number 18, it says, Hear ye therefore the parable of the sower. When anyone heareth the word of the kingdom, and understandeth it not, then cometh the wicked one, and catcheth the way that which was sown in his heart. This is he which receives seed by the wayside. But he that receiveth the seed into stony places is the same as he that heareth the word, and anon with joy receiveth it. Yet hath he not root in himself, but doeth for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, by and by he is offended. He also that receives seed among the thorns is he that heareth the word, and the cares of this world, and the deceitfulness of riches, choke the word, and he becometh unfruitful. But he that receives seed into the good ground is he that heareth the word, and understandeth it, which also Beareth fruit and bringeth forth some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. Now go over to Luke chapter number eight, if you will. And you lose your spot in Matthew 13. I think we'll just stay in Luke chapter number eight. Notice in verse number one, and it came to pass afterward that he went throughout every city and village, preaching and showing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God and the twelve. Were with him. So Luke describes it a little bit different. You're getting a little bit more detail, not just going out of the house. He was going everywhere, preaching and teaching Jesus Christ was. And, uh, and, as, and certain women, which had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene, out of whom went seven devils. And Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's steward, and Susanna, and many others, which ministered unto him of their substance. And when much people were gathered together and were come to him out of every city, he spake by a parable. A sower went out to sow his seed, and, and as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and it was trodden down, and the fowls of the air devoured it. Some fell upon a rock, and as soon as it was sprung up, it withered away because it lacked moisture, and some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up with it and choked it, and other fell on good ground and then sprang up and bare fruit and hundredfold. And when he had said these things, he cried, He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. And his disciples asked him, saying, What might this parable be? And he said, Unto you it is given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to others in parables that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Now this, now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. Those by the wayside, are they that hear, then cometh the devil and taketh away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe... ...and be saved. They on the rock are they which when they hear... ...receive the word with joy... And, the, ...and these have no root... ...which for a while believe... ...and in the time of temptation fall away. And that which fell among the thorns... ...are they which when they have heard it... ...go forth and are choked with cares... Uh, ...with cares and riches... ...and pleasures of this life... ...and bring no fruit to perfection. But that on the good ground are they which in in an honest and good heart, having heard the word, keep it and bring forth fruit with patience. Well, let me have a word of prayer, and then we'll be seated, and uh, we'll see what God's word says for us today. Lord, I thank you for the chance to open up your word today, and I I do pray, God, that you will use your word today, a parable that's well-known, God, and Lord, I pray that we would focus and pay attention, even on those portions of scripture which... We think we may know or heard many times in our lives, God. Lord, please come now and honor your word. God, bring us to a moment of decision and challenge in our lives, and then God, help us to yield to your convicting power of your spirit. And I ask this in Christ's name, amen. You can go ahead and be seated. Well, I know maybe looking at the last week's weather forecast may not necessarily bear to be true, but I... I am exercising the faith that we are into spring. And I, I don't care what you say to me. And uh, I shall not be moved. I am believing we are headed into spring. You know, the Bible talks about uh, beating your swords into plowshares. I'm going to beat my shovel, I think, into plowshares. So that might, be, that might be a better way to go about it. We'll just beat our shovels into, into plowshares. But we are getting to that, that time of that time of year getting the spring and, and even where I work at in Laverne I can look out the window and see the traffic come by all the time and you know I'm starting to see the, the, the farming equipment starting to be pulled out there, the tractors and, and all of, and all of those things and uh, they' getting, they're getting ready to, to plant and, and, uh, and do all that farming stuff and I don't I don't know a lot about it. I was talking to Jacqueline a few weeks ago, and I'm, I'm with you. We, we, I don't know much about farming. You talk about your husband knowing stuff about farming and stuff. And I, I don't know. Just well, however you do it, just get it done, you know, and I'll just enjoy the fruits of it. I, I, don't, I don't know a lot about it. Probably don't know a lot about a lot of things, but I definitely don't know a lot about farming and that type of thing. But there's, there's certain things that I that just growing up around this of the world that you maybe just have a cursory knowledge or have an idea about or what, and when it comes to planting and farming around here, the results that you see in these piles of grain that you see at the end of a a summer or early fall that you see stacked up at a grain elevator, that's not the result of happenstance, that's not the result of chance uh, taking place there was careful planning and decision-making that went into getting from point A spring to that harvest a- at the end and, and the kind of harvests that, harvest that go along with that. And so uh, any farmer, I would have to imagine, is, has the desire that whatever his yield is on an acre, of whether it's corn or beans, he's never really ever satisfied with that yield amount, that he's hoping that he will increase more than he did did last year because increased yield means increased profitability. It makes perfect sense. If you're a capitalist, which I hope you are, then you're into capitalism, you will enjoy that fact. And so to help them to achieve that very thing so that they can get the maximum productivity out of it then many of them do what's called soil testing. They will, they will test the soil that they will have. And uh, so when I was looking at this, I found an article about soil testing that gave five really good reasons, and I, and I just summarized it in a way that, you know, that my little brain can understand it. And it gave five really good reasons why a farmer would, would test his soil. One reason why he would test his soil is for fertility reasons. In other words, he wants to determine what this soil will need to be the most productive. Makes sense. He also will test because he's testing for degradation. In other words, he wants to determine what nutrients need to be put back into the soil so he can continue to have a productive field. Because the truth of the matter is, when you plant something in a field, it may grow, but it also leaches nutrients out of the soil. So you're going to need to replace that. So he's testing to see what kind of degrading influences have taken place on the soil that would hold it back from achieving maximum productivity. Okay? Then thirdly, that um, saturation... In other words, he tests the soil to see if it's been oversaturated with, for instance, fertilizer. If it has too much fertilizer, then that could also, too much of one thing could also be bad. So not having something could be bad, but having too much of something. So he's looking, is there an oversaturation of something in here? And if there is, then we need to deal with that. Then he also does it, uh, the fourth reason is capitalization. They again want to maximize the amount of production that they are receiving from that soil. And then, fifthly, is that globalization. Because they don't just grow crops just to grow crops. And that they grow crops to make money, but beyond that, we, it's called the breadbasket of America for a reason. Because we're feeding the world with our crops. So the better the crops are, the bigger the impact it makes on the rest of the world around us. If we all went into a global drought and there's no crops, man, if you think grocery prices are bad now, it would be astronomical if all of all crops failed in the world at once. So it obviously has a global impact on what they are doing within, within that soil. Now you may be saying this morning, well, Fantastic. I thought we came to church and uh, we're getting a farming lecture. Well, you are because in the sense that you may not be a farmer in the sense that I'm just uh, saying here. But I do know this. God wants you to be a soil tester. And by that, when we look at this parable today, Jesus taught a parable about farming. And the parable is often called the parable of the sower... Which I believe is a little bit of a misnomer. Because in reality it should be called the parable of the soils. Because the focus of this is less on the sower than it is on the soils of this. And that God wants us to be soil testers. And the soil in this, and as we are going to see, represents this. Your heart's reception and response to the word of God. That this parable is dealing then with... Everyone in this room, regardless of where you find yourself in a position in relationship with God, whether you came in here this morning and as a visitor, you, you do not know Christ as your Savior. You're looking for answers, or whether you're someone who's saved, that you're, you, you say, I'm on the right path and I've got this all figured out. I'm going to tell you this, this parable is not just for a select group of people, but it's for everybody. And the result is that God wants us to be soil testers of our heart in much the same manner as that article that I showed you with. God wants you to test your heart this morning in relationship to his word because he's concerned about the, the fertility of his word within your life. What production is it making in your life? What kind of yield, what kind of return is God's word getting in your heart? What kind of response to God's word is making in your life and the productivity Or the fertilization of that word? He's looking for degradation in your life. What influences in your life are degrading the, the, the impact, the response to God's word in your life because God wants us to look at, are there degrading influences in my life that are hindering my response and receiving of God's word in my life? And saturation. You see, God wants to test our hearts because sometimes... We can saturate our lives, not necessarily with degrading things, it could be even good things, but we saturate our lives with things that take away from God's word doing a work in our lives. And then we can also then, this uh, capitalization, God wants you to test your heart to see if you're getting the maximum impact of God's word in your life, and if not, why? Why is that not happening? Why am I not seeing a hundredfold return? That's a reasonable question to test. And then lastly is this, God wants us to test our hearts because you have a global impact. Because you do not know what you are, where you're at because you are a stone with a ripple effect. You are creating a ripple effect whether it's in your youth group or whether it's in your marriage or whether it's at your job. Wherever you're at, you're creating a you're creating a response and so your response and the receptiveness to God's word has a global impact whether you realize it or not it has that very impact in your life so when we look at this parable today and as we try to understand what we are what we are having here that God really wants you to say, do you see the importance of this parable that we have before you? This is just not that cute Sunday school lesson that we've seen and heard so many times. This is a parable that really is a foundation for everything else that Christ will teach in this chapter and really is a foundation for everything in your life because it all has to deal with your responsiveness and receptiveness to God's word and whether it is living up to the potential that it contains. And so when we look at this, that God wants, as we look at this parable today, God, I believe, wants you to test his word. And I get, believe that God wants you not to test his word, but test your hearts this, this morning. Because the application probably could get a little bumpy when we get there. to really applying this, when we really come down to testing. Because it's real easy right now, so they go... Amen, let's go ahead and let's, let's test it out. But you know what? It's like sometimes when you go to the doctor and you're like, I need to get this tested. But you kind of worried about the test results when the doctor comes in. And I think as much as God has challenged me in this whole thing, I think we would be wise to be careful to listen to the test. Now when Jesus preached, and we saw, we see this here. You, uh, we know what he was preaching, he was preaching the kingdom the kingdom of God. The kingdom of heaven was at hand. The rule of God over man, that kingdom is before you. Rejection would take place. And ultimately, the kingdom of God would become that which dwells within a man where God would rule and reign in your life. And he was preaching that very thing. He was repeating the message that John the Baptist had. And he should be because it was a message from his father. Repent ye for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Bring forth fruits worthy of repentance. I mean, he was repeating the same message because it was the same God. And, he, and it was very clear. People understood what he was saying. There's no ambiguities around it. People uh, listened to him and said, you know what? He teaches as one who has authority. Because he should, since he's the author of God's word, he teaches as one that has authority. The problem with Jesus' teaching wasn't it was so ambiguous, it was so clear that it, may, that it created uh, uh, responses from other people. And those responses to Christ's word are what I would call all over the spectrum. I mean, it is all over the place. God, the the preaching of Jesus Christ and the message and the word of God, it was reaching all levels. See when I read Luke chapter number 8 there's interesting things in there you just think of these women that were following him a woman that had eight eight devils eight demons in her that were cast out of her you have a you have a stewardess that was in a in one of the head politicians house so you've got from the street you got from the street people all the way into the palace you got from the from the totally irreligious, like the woman on the street who broke into uh, the, the Pharisees' banquet there with Christ was there, to uh, you have the religious elite like Nicodemus coming to Jesus at night. I'm telling you, it was all over the place. Yep. And the response and the impact of Christ's word was so various from, from different people. I mean, you look at... Peter, James, and John, they were out fishing. And all oh, the Lord had to say to them, follow him, may make you fishers of men. They didn't even give their dad a five-minute notice. There was no two-week notice. They were like, Dad, we're out of here. The Savior has called us. We're quitting our jobs. We're forfeiting everything. We don't care about our inheritance. We just care about this one who has called us this Messiah that we've been looking for. You see stuff like that. Matthew the tax collector. Zacchaeus climbed up in a tree because the Lord he wanted to see and he came to his house. He said, I, I've been cheating people. I will go ahead and not only just restore what I gave to them, but I will restore it with interest. That's how big of an impact. But you know what? In Luke chapter number 7, we're not turned. turn there. But in the previous chapter it said that the Pharisees and the scribes rejected the counsel of God against themselves. Literally says that they rejected the counsel of God. I don't tell you I don't even need to read the rest of the verse to realize that's not good. That sounds really terrible. That God has said regardless of what they were portraying and what they were showing, they had rejected God's word altogether. So don't don't you find it remarkable then? Here you have like fishermen or you have like a Nicodemus or Zacchaeus. Man, they hear the same very word of God. Their lives are transformed. And I mean, they go on to do great things for the Lord. And we read great things about them. And then you have another group of people hear the same exact very words of God. And then you find them rejecting Christ, trying to trap him trying to discredit him, and ultimately trying to silence him. Is that not what happens? Two different opposite ends of the spectrum of response to God's word. And I sit there and scratch my head, well, what in the world is that all about? But isn't that really what happens even in in a church setting like this? Because you'll hear a message preached, whether it's from pastor or me or somebody else, The same message, I've walked out of here before and go, man, God really spoke to me about that. And and then other people are like, "Eh, that's that's an all right service. How is it that it was just all right? And me like, whoo, that was amazing. Let's have another hour of that. How can that be? And so Christ is dealing with that very subject matter. He said, you want an answer? He said, I will give you an answer for you easy enough for you to understand if you want to understand it. Because Christ was teaching in parables at this moment because there were those that didn't want to understand. But if you did want to understand, He said, I got a story for you. And uh, so Jesus taught a very familiar story during this time and about farming uh, for their day and age. Uh, The farming many times were just strips of land that they would that they would have not these big 40-acre fields, strips of land, and people would walk between the fields and all that. And if you're familiar with walking, you walk on the ground, the ground becomes hard, and you can't hardly do anything on, on that. No grass uh, grows there and that kind of stuff. which wish people would walk all over my yard, you know, <laughs> that type of thing. So no grass grows, but, but you know, nothing grows there. And they have these, these, this strip of ground there. And um, so farming was a little bit different. They would either um, uh, put a bag on their shoulder and just cut like a little corner in it and just walk all around and let seed fall out all over the place on the ground. Or they would broadcast it, if you've ever had one of those little grass seeders for your house, and then you can just scatter seed all over the place. They would do something like that. They didn't have this accurate GPS stuff in their, in, in their planters like they do in this day and age. They didn't have any of that. And so they, the seed inevitably ended up in places that it never was intended to do, but really, the sower really didn't care about where it ended up at. He was just concerned about sowing it and receiving a return upon what he what he sowed. He was he just planted out there, and the parable is easy enough to understand. So he's out there throwing seed; and it's going all over the place, and uh, you know some of it goes goes on the uh, on the hard wayside soil around it doesn't have good results. The birds come and come and eat it; they they take it away. I lived on a highway Uh, in my hometown. The grain elevator was down the street. There would be corn on the on the highway. Man, the birds cleaned the highway daily. It was amazing. That's what's going on. They're they're cleaning up. Hey, farmer farmer seed, still good seed. Birds ate it though. Then he said that some of it fell in the ground that obviously would to your eye, and my eye looked pretty good. But it was very shallow it was there's no depth to it there were stones that lied below the surface there and it started out well it would grow for a little bit but when the heat came and it started to bake that soil it could not re- get its roots down into a life giving source of water and therefore the result of it is that seed would also would also perish then he said some of it then fell upon uh, ground that was infested with weeds and w- with thorns. One thing I found about weeds and thorns in my little experience gardening is this. I've never ever went and bought uh, weed seeds. I never went down to like Ace Hardware and said, I mean, if you got some thistles down here, I mean, I'm looking for these big thistles. The, the ones that are like on the pasture, I want those ones. I never had to go do that. And you know what, when I plant, I never even see those weed seeds. But you know what, when, I, when it grows up, all of a sudden the weeds are there. The seeds were there the whole time. And then they grow together. And it says that it even grew up in the thorns. I'm going to tell you this, the thorn bushes that they said that they had there... ...are those big nasty thorns, like the ones that were on the, on the brow of Christ... ...that if something grew in there... ...and I'm not picking tomatoes in a thorn bush, I'm sorry... You can go ahead and have that because it's become useless to me. I'm not putting my hand in there. So that seed became worthless, became useless. And then some of it then fell on good ground. I mean, good black soil. Not this red Oklahoma stuff. I don't, I don't know what that stuff is. I mean, that, that stuff is terrible. If it was on the bus. You should have left it there, all right? That's all I'm saying. And it's black dirt. The blacker, the better when, you know, like when I'm... Gardening, I want black soil. And some of it fell on some good, nice, I think it was black soil. Don't don't change my mind on that. And uh, But it produced. There wasn't anything impeding it. The ground, can we put it this way, was open and receptive to receiving the seed with no barrier stopping it from producing the results that the seed could produce. Does that not the parable? This is the simple parable that... that that Christ is going. And I think when we look at these parables and, and even trying to explain it, we're all getting it. We all understand it. And that's probably the problem with Christ's parable many times because you're understanding it. You're like, okay, I think I know where he's going. I think I got it. And then Christ says, I'll explain it to you. There's no misinterpretation of, of this. There's other parables in Matthew 13 that I believe that I can prove to you what the Bible says, but you may argue with me about it and maybe right, rightfully so there's no ambiguities, there's no hidden meaning to this parable. Because Jesus tells us specifically what is in this. See, Jesus, and what we read in Luke says, the seed is the word of God. God's word is living and powerful and life-producing, life-changing, life-altering. That seed, I mean, we can't even fathom the power that God encapsulated even in one small seed, for it to produce basically a resurrection type existence where something that is dead, because Jesus used it as a resurrection type illustration that the seed has so much power in it that what appears to be dead can break forth into life. Now I'm going to tell you this, that's powerful. God's word clearly is powerful. The prophet Jeremiah said in there, is not my word like a hammer? that breaketh the rock in pieces, is not my word like a fire? I mean, it's got power. It's got life-producing qualities uh, about it that even the hardest of hearts cannot stand against God's word. It's powerful. It's life-giving. And so this is the seed that Jesus is talking about. Very good seed. The parable has no problems with the seed at all. The seed... There there was no issue on the, the seed was just as good on the wayside soil as it was on the stony soil, as a thorny soil, as a good soil. Equal quality across the board. Okay? So then we have the sower, which many people call the parable of the sower. Specifically in this context, it would relate to Jesus Christ preaching and proclaiming the word of God. But the kingdom parables aren't just for then and now. It's dealing with this period of time. Tell Christ Jesus comes again. And in this period of time, then anywhere that the word of God is cast and sown, it would become sowing type material. Okay? So it may be at your church. It may be maybe here in a church service. It may be in your Sunday school. It may be now you can buy books. You can go home. And uh, read articles on the internet. Uh, You can listen to things on YouTube. You probably need to be careful on some of this stuff, to be honest with you. But you have an opportunity to hear God's word. And on top of that, if you are saved, the Bible also says that the spirit of God is also preaching to you all the time. Because part of its ministry is to bring back to your memory the things of the word of God. So when you hear these words in church, because it's hard to remember all of them, that the Holy Spirit says, I'll help you. And the Holy Spirit's then also casting and planting and doing these things in our lives over and over and over and over again. So that's we have sowing going on. okay. But then we get to the, the different hearts. The different, re, the different responses then really to, to the word of God. Because Jesus said each one of these <clears throat> soils represents a different heart. You see... So the hard-hearted individual, or the hard heart, is this, it's beyond just rejection. See, we got to get beyond this idea. The hard-hearted has to be only those that outright say, I do not accept Jesus Christ. I do not believe in his word. I do not accept it at at all. It is not the word of God. He is not the son of God. Now, that would fall under people that that have wayside soil. But if that's all you view it you're... Your view is narrow, and you need to look at it in a broader sense, because hard-heartedness could be as simple as, as this. I've already been up here for at least a half an hour or longer, and you're already thinking, you haven't listened to a word I said. Oh, you've heard me, but what you've been thinking about is, man, that looks like a pretty cross up there. What's that big round thing up there called? And uh, when are we going, it's not the Death Star, and when, uh, when, are, when, are, we, when are we going home, you know? But the whole time, your mind is somewhere else because you never wanted to listen in the first place. The, the, uh, the shallow, or the stony soil, is basically those that receive that word, there's a degree of an excitement to it, but then it fades away. Can I tell you this? It's a shallow profession. There is a profession without a possession. You've professed, I love this. Man, I'm going to do exactly what this says. And you do nothing about it. Yeah, I'm all excited because this has got me stirred up. And that's all I did is stirred you up. And then you're back into the world and boom, it's gone again. And then you also have the, the, the thorny soil there. The weeds, the Bible says the cares of this world, the pleasures of life, the lusts of the flesh. All of these things around us choke or choke out God's word, degrade it, make it less in, in, in our lives. That all these things, we were so caught up with living, we're caught up, what, what am I going to eat? What am I going to drink? What am I going to wear? I'm going to pay for this. Or you're just living life in, the, in cruise control. I'm just your life's not bad. You just everything's going good, everything's comfortable, but you're so comfortable in your own life that even God's word is getting choked out. Is that not what he's teaching? Certainly it is. And then those that have good soil are then those that are like this. I'm locked in. I've been I mean this guy is this guy's preaching is off the charts terrible. But there's probably something good in this that I'm going to pay attention to. That I'm going to sit there and go, you know what? I know God wants to say something to me. And I know there's something I can learn from this. Or I open up my Bible and it says, you know what? Like I'm in my Bible reading in Leviticus right now. And I'm like, I know God's got something in here. But I might just have to dig, put the plow in a little bit harder than I do back in Genesis. But it's there. And if I open my Bible with that kind of word, like, I can read all the names in Chronicles, God will give me something there. You know what? That's the good heart that that I want to hear, but not just hear and understand, but actually do and apply it on top of it. Because you might be like the hearing part and you might even understand it, but if you're not in the doing part, then you're just back here in the weeds. So this this is what Christ's parable is talking about. Now we can look at it even in a in more specific applications then. Because I've had, you know, a friend of mine, a preacher friend of mine, I remember years ago, having this conversation. He's like, is this parable? Isn't it all about salvation? I would say it applies to salvation, but it's not all about salvation. <laughs> it's, not, it's not a salvation parable, but does it apply to salvation? Absolutely. So let's make an application to salvation then today, all right? So, salvation says that in and of yourself, you cannot redeem yourself. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. That we've all fallen short and come, uh, all, all sin and come short of the glory of God. That if you've used the Lord's name in vain, you're a blasphemer. If you ever put anything before God, you, you have had idol worship in your life. If you've ever taken something that didn't belong to you, you're a thief. You ever looked on someone with lust, you're an adulterer. You ever desired something that didn't belong to you, you're into covetousness. Ten Commandments, they're, they're right there. That's, and the Ten Commandments are a standard which shows us our utter, our utter sinfulness. And none of you could ever keep the law or even Ten Commandments good enough to get yourself right with God. And on that, a just God has a right to punish you for all eternity. But a just God is also a merciful God. His mercies are new every morning. And he says, I'm not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And I will send my son to be that sacrifice and substitute for you so you could be saved. And all that I ask you to do is this repent In other words, acknowledge where you're at. You're on the wrong way and have a change of heart about who you are and turn to God and put your faith in Christ and look to him for salvation and he will save you this morning and that goes for everybody. So you may have been visiting here. You may be a church member, been here a while. You can be a church member and not be saved. I'm just going to tell you that. You can be a church member and not be saved. You may be visiting and say, I'm not so sure about where I'm going to die when I where I'm going when I die and you've heard the message of the gospel now you remain unsaved why are you remaining unsaved then is that not a legitimate question is it because your heart has become hard to it you've heard it so many times well all those bad things that you say are going to happen to me hasn't happened I don't really care is that where you're at is it oh man I need to do that but I never do that stony ground or maybe if I do that, man, I might lose my job. The pressure from my spouse if I do this. The pressure from my peers and my teen group if I did that. Man, this would be awful. And then you pull back. Choked out. Cares of this world. Or I've got my job. I've got my future to think of. I don't have time for Christ. Weeds. Thorns. And then some that actually have their hearts open. Acknowledge their sinfulness and actually come down here and repent. I'm just saying I'm not sure if people have gotten saved or not. But I know there's been some services on a Sunday morning where people have raised their hand. And I'm not sure if they came forward or not. But if you didn't come forward and you're one of those people that raised your hand, ask yourself then, test the soil of your heart. Why did you not make that choice and decision? Because we know what God wanted. And his word is powerful. He would have saved you and transformed you and given you a new walk and given you a new life. But why didn't you come down here? Because I know from this parable, it's, it's one of those three. If you didn't do number four, you're in one through three and you have to test your heart to see where you're at. But really it goes even beyond salvation, does, does it not? I mean, I think pastor preaches more than just salvation, right? I, I mean, you're talking about... Does the Bible talk about rightly dividing the word of truth? To read his word. To sit there, to hide his word in our, in our, in our hearts. Well, where are you at in your Bible reading? Do you just, okay, well, I don't really do, do that. I'm just like, I'm tired of hearing about the Bible and this. We always read your Bible. Okay, let the birds come. And then wonder why you're having problems. Or you might be, yeah, I'm going to do that. And your yearly journal Bible reading thing you got at the beginning of the year, you made it to the middle of February, maybe. The excitement lasted only so long, only went so deep and hit rock bottom. Right? Or you're just like, I got so busy. Man, I got this activity, I got this activity, and I got work, and I've got all this. And you don't have time for God's word, so it's choking out in your life? Or do you sit there and go, you know what, I've got, I can get up an hour earlier in the, in the morning and read my Bible and open it up and see what God's got for me, apply it to my life, see what I can do with it. That's good Soil. Does this not apply to everything? Does the Bible talk about your marriage, your relationship with your spouse? We're in Sunday school talking about those things, uh, talking about having love and respect, one towards uh, husbands loving their wives and their wives showing respect to their husbands. It's there in 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 the scriptures there. But how is your loving, are you loving your wife the way that you should? Husbands. And if you're not, then you're falling under one of those three other soils for one of the reasons. And maybe you come so hard-hearted to your wife that, the, that, that there's no penetration of that truth anymore to your life because you've gotten so bitter against her. Because the Bible does warn about getting bitter. The husband's getting bitter towards their wife, not the wife getting bitter towards her husband. It's in the Bible. And why is showing your husband respect? Well, that dirt ball, yes, he is a dirt ball, and you agreed to marry that dirt ball, all right? I'm just telling you. Okay? He probably is. If he's like me, he's a dirt ball. All right? And I'm just, tell, I'm just telling you this, though. He, he deserves respect not because of the, his character, but because God said it so. And he deserves a respect because God wants you to do that. Well, how do you respond to that? Are you, are you in one through three? Or, or are you in number four? Like, I'm going to do that in whatever way. Like, we were doing practical things in our Sunday school class to show love towards your wife. Well, I'd be all right if you wouldn't teach things like that because then I don't have to do anything about it. So if you want to stop teaching and go to another subject matter, you're fine, all right? And, uh, but that's just how it goes. But it goes on and on. You're, you're tithing, being a witness living a wholly separated life, whether you're going to live a life of purity, whether you're going to stand up against the pressures of the society or, uh, around you, whether you're actually, you, you teenagers, you came back from college days and you're like, this is, I heard this message and God spoke to me during this message. Well, I am thankful and I pray to God that he did speak to you through the message. But if, there's, if it doesn't go to number four, if there's no productivity then no matter how good college days was, it really wasn't that good. Because there should be production that should be the result of it. I want God's plan for my life, but then you're going to go ahead and live your life your own way by your own plans, or we're going to get to God's plan the way that I want to. That is using thorns and the cares of this world, and it will choke out the effectiveness of God's word in your life, and you won't get there. So this is why it's so broadened and so... Because God's word isn't just be applied in what, how we respond in a church service. But do you understand you're supposed to live God's word out each and every day? That every single moment... When you're challenged, you're tempted with something, or you're failing, or you're not doing something right, you have to ask yourself, what does God say? What's my response to it? And am I just going to be hard-hearted to do it? Or am I actually going to yield to it? Or am I going to just sit there and go, well, the pressure's of this. If I do that, then they're going to do this. And then, I, then what I agree to, I don't actually do. Or I just get so busy, or I'm just choke it out and it doesn't do anything. You see, when I used to look at this parable, I'd be like, oh, I want to get to a hundredfold. I don't even think it's so much, the 30, 60, 100 is so much the number as much as it's parable, as that God wants us to get to a point that our heart's reception is in such a way that it's producing the results that he wants in our lives. Because your heart's response, your heart's reception determines the effectiveness of God's word in your heart, and it's nobody else's fault but your own. Yeah. That's what Christ is teaching here. He was being straightforward because there was a whole group of people that didn't want to hear him, and, he's, and we don't have time to look at it, but he said, right, you're just like it was in the days of Isaiah. They have ears to hear, but they wouldn't hear. They have eyes to see, but would not see. In other words, they just turned it off. And that's why Christ is teaching this way. You go ahead and turn it off. That's fine. But look at the results that will be that. So when I look at that, anyone in in, in, there, you look at a farming aspect of this parable. If you're in your right mind, would sit there and go, I would then want to make sure that my soil is good. (laughs) I would want to make sure that the productivity is there in my life. Your heart's hard? The Old Testament prophets cried out to his people, break up the fallow ground of your heart. It is time to seek the Lord. You have lied idle long enough. You've heard his word. It is time for you to break up the ground of your heart, and it's time for you to start responding. And I would challenge you this morning that God's saying, enough is enough. You've done enough listening. I've talked to you enough about this. I've convicted you enough about this. And you've not responded. Now time, Now is the time to put the plow into the ground. Now's the time to break it up. I want to do great things for you. I want to bless you. I want you to experience the power of God's word in your life. But you've got to get the plow in the ground. It's time you respond and break up the fallow ground. Maybe that there are, it is time that we start having a much deeper profession than that we have, because you can give all this on the outside, but that doesn't mean you have it on the inside, or it's very shallow at best, and it's time that we start rooting rooting that out, like, I'm actually going to commit myself to doing these very things, and it may be a problem or besetting sin you've had in your life, and that God said, we can deal with that. Because, see, my kids have picked rocks before. Praise the Lord, I've never picked rocks in a field before. If you've done it, you're wonderful. <laughs> I'm not going to do that. But you know what? Some of those rocks out there are huge. They've got to go out there and mark them, and then they go get a tractor, and they get a, get a chain. You ever seen some of those big rocks on the side of the field? It takes a group effort. Your challenge may be this morning, you may have a stone that needs to be removed that's choking and hindering your responsiveness to God's word, there's a group of believers around you that will get out the chain and tractor if you'll partner up beside them and help you out. We have a youth pastor here, teenagers. Hey, there's something big in my life. I can't deal with it. You have a youth pastor, young ladies. You have a youth pastor's wife to, to help you out. We have a pastor here. We have other men in the church. There's other ladies in the, in the church that instead of you trying to yank stones all day by yourself and wearing yourself out, it's a lot easier if you have a group of people trying to lift stones together yes. and work together. That's what God's got, got other people for. He's just not gathering a crowd. He's getting together a people that will love him and serve him and help other people to do the same. And you might have some thorns in your life some weeds some things that are choking you out could be something bad it could be just an innocent activity that that takes takes you takes you away from church takes you away from obeying god's word and it's time you get out get out the weed killer get out the hole it's time to get out there and start chopping weeds and then some of you may say well i think overall i'm doing pretty good but i'm gonna tell you this No farmer is content just to leave his field the way that it is every single year. Like, it was good last year. We're not going to do anything this year. You know what he's constantly doing? Testing. Testing all the time. Testing the field. Do I need to add some fertilizer to it? Do I need to get rid of this? Do I need to change that? Do I need more water? You understand what I'm saying? He's constantly working and working and working and working. He's never content. And I've been around enough farmers. I don't think they're ever content about anything. Too wet, too dry, too hot, too cold, whatever. They're not content about anything. But that discontentment is also fuels their passion also to drive them to receive a better crop. Amen. God wants us to be content. But there's one thing you shouldn't be content about in your life is where you're at spiritually and receiving God's word and applying it into your life and seeing what you need to do with that. I want to close with a quote that I read from someone else who wrote about this i don't know the guy you don't know him either so i'll just read his quote (laughs) says god wants you to look at these four soils in the various areas of life to see what kind of soil you are if you're like me your life is going to be like a field some of it is the hardened first soil some of it is the rocky soil some of it's the thorny soil and some of it's good soil The goal is to till the hardened soil, clear the rocks, clear away the rocks, and burn out the thorns so that our entire field becomes good, fertile soil. I don't believe that there's any one of us in here that are all good, but I do believe this, that in our lives, many of us, we probably possess areas in our lives, some are hard areas in our lives that we don't want touched. Some are areas that we've been trying to pretend we're doing, but we're not. We're just professing. And then there's some areas that we've allowed things to choke it out, God's word and application of it in our life and our response to it. And then there's some areas that we're good at. And lot of my challenge today is not for you to focus on what you're good at, but to test the areas to see where you're bad at. To see where it's not good at. To see what God wants you to do in response to that. Because today the bigger, the biggest issue is your heart's response and receptiveness to God's word. And your, your heart's condition will determine that. And then everything else will filter down about that. Whether you're saved today, your relationships, your obedience. Whatever thing the Bible speaks about will all fall underneath that. And so I would challenge you today and as God... As Christ has given us this parable, it's not a parable about the sower, it's a parable about the soil of your heart and where is it at today. And today may be the day that there needs, the, the planter needs to come out. Grease up the plow, hook up the tractor, it's time we get to work. All right, let's go ahead and stand and we're going to have a time of invitation here I'd ask that you bow your heads and close your eyes. Lord, I thank you for a chance to look at your word today. And uh, God, I just pray that you'll work in this message like you've worked in my heart. And God, how we respond to your word and the receptiveness of it. And God, I do pray if someone is not saved here today, that they would, today would ask somebody to show them how they could be saved. Come forward, we'll give them the scriptures so they could be saved. God, just please work in their hearts. God, please work and use this invitation as you see fit. And I pray and ask this in Christ's name, amen.